Well, again, welcome to City Life tonight. So there you have it. If you're, if you're a female, you got something coming up for you. If you're a male, you got something coming up for you. And uh, it, make sure that you get rooted in those things. And not just that, life groups are around the corner, so we can get excited about that. Those will be launching in the fall. So when you talk about, you know, getting invested in the family of faith, there's all these different ways right around the corner to get rooted and, and get rooted in the family right here. Uh, but if you've been here for any amount of time, you know we've been in this series called Road Rules. It's been the summer series we've been working through. And the reason for that is so many of us were taking trips, going here, there, everywhere, vacations, uh, trips to the Outer Banks, visiting relatives, whether it's on the road, you're flying, or you're taking a ship to a destination, whatever it is, there's a lot of people traveling this summer. So we've been in this series, and we've also been giving away Wawa gift cards. And usually we've been giving it to people that are about to make trips. But tonight I want to give a shout-out. Uh, Chris and Yvette Haddon, they're serving tonight with SLT for the first time. Come in, come in. They're serve, not only serving, uh, they're leading SLT for the first time ever. So I just wanted to bless them with this, and they crushed it. They got done with everything early. It looks great in here, and it looks great out there. And uh, Anthony trains them up well, but they're doing an amazing job. They've been on a journey, right, uh, getting rooted at the church, serving, and now stepping up and leading. And we love them to death. So thank you, guys. We appreciate you. Some of you might be thinking, though, all right, this is road rule number six, and I've never really clarified how many there are. Like, you're thinking, are there a dozen? Are there a hundred? We can be in this in 2020. Like, what is this? There's seven, seven rules. So tonight is road rule number six. Uh, if you're taking notes, road rule is host a bonfire. Host a bonfire. And we're going to be turning back into 1 Kings 19. So if you're scratching your head, like, what does that even mean? We'll see pretty quickly when we get to 1 Kings 19. And if you don't have a Bible or you don't have you version on your phone, there's Bibles under your pews. So everyone's got an avenue to get there. But as you're turning there, kind of an epilogue to this series, if I can call it that, will be a couple sermons after it, which we're just going to call Finish Line Faith. Because as I was reading through the books of Chronicles and Kings, if you've ever read them, it gives these accounts of all these different rulers of Israel and Judah. And for some of them, you get pages of what their life was like. For some of them, you just get a couple paragraphs or even less. But for each of them, the author seemingly sums up their entire life and their entire reign in about one sentence. Something that would fit on a tombstone or, or less. And it speaks to man. We, we, we're going to leave a legacy and usually when people talk about what we did with our life, it's going to be in a sentence or it's going to be in a short statement. And it speaks to, to finishing strong in our faith. And that series is going to be called Finish Line Faith. But as I was reading through Second Chronicles, it's speaking of King Rehoboam. And it says in Second Chronicles 12, 14, a pretty profound statement. It says he did evil. And that's not profound because we're surrounded by that. But it says the reason he did evil is because he did not prepare his heart to seek the Lord. He did not prepare his heart to seek the Lord. He didn't prepare his heart for this journey that we've been talking about. Maybe he didn't think he even needed to prepare his heart to seek the Lord or follow him. But in this series, Road Rules, we've been talking about how our call to follow Christ. It's not a one-time event at a church or an altar, it's a lifelong commitment. This idea of following Christ and following Jesus, it's not a one-time affair, it's a lifelong journey. And there's principles that the Bible gives us as we follow Christ. We talk all the time here about the 12 pathways, the 12 spiritual disciplines that we'll walk in as we follow Christ. But this series is looking at just different principles in Scripture that will help us follow Him as we seek the Lord. So last week, if you were here, we talked about rule number five, which is tour guides, not travel agents. Be a tour guide, not a travel agent. Get a tour guide, not a travel agent. Why? What's the difference? 
A travel agent will tell you where you should go, what you should do, and then they'll say, good luck. <laughs> a tour guide goes with you. And in life, as we follow Christ, we're not called to do it alone, and we're not called to just take advice and have people say good luck. We need people. Like when you're on a road trip, before Siri, you could plug it into the audio system, and she could give you directions. It helped to have somebody shotgun in the passenger seat with the map actually telling you, hey, in about two exits, you're going to have to get off on 65B or whatever. We used to have to do that, right, before we had the app that would tell us all these things. And it's useful in our spiritual journey to have people with us who can guide us, direct us, coach us up. And we're not just called to have those over us. We're called to pour into others. And we looked at, to speak about this, 1 Kings 19, where we looked at Elijah and how he was struggling with anxiety. We looked at Elijah. We had an honest conversation about how he was struggling with anxiety. He was struggling with depression. And God gives him various uh, steps to take, and they're not comprehensive, but we see that one of these steps was for Elijah as a prescription for his anxiety, as a prescription for, for more joy, was to refocus, to stop focusing on self because we see self pity. He's like, I'm the only one left. They're out to get me, and to start pouring into others. God immediately has him anoint two kings and then start pouring into Elisha. We talked about this important analogy. As, as Elijah's going to Elisha, he passes the Sea of Galilee. And in that region, you've got the Dead Sea, and you've got the Sea of Galilee. We talked about how they're both fed by the Jordan River. They're both in the same climate, both seemingly similar situations. And you've got the Dead Sea, which is called the Dead Sea for a reason. Nothing can live in it. It's so full of minerals, nothing can live in it. And just miles from that, you've got the Sea of Galilee that's so teeming with life that there were so many different varieties of fish. It's what the disciples were fishing. There was a whole uh, 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 culture and, and, and occupation to be had in the Sea of Galilee. And what was the difference? Well, the Sea of Galilee had an inlet and an outlet. Water came in and water went through it and out of it. For the Dead Sea, it's so uh, uh, beneath sea level that nothing flows out of it. It just takes in, takes in, and takes in, and it speaks to our spiritual walk, how we're not supposed to just take in. We're supposed to, like the Sea of Galilee, also pour into others. And sometimes the biggest source of life in your life is to be a source of life for others. Again, the Sea of Galilee is so filled with fish. This is what the disciples were fishing in Matthew 4.20. When Jesus comes to, he comes to Peter, he comes to Andrew, and he says, follow me. And it says in Matthew 4.20, immediately. Another translation says, at once, they left their nets and they followed. Now, what's notable to me is it doesn't say they folded up their nets, packed them in their bag, and took it with them and followed. It says they left their nets and followed. They left behind whatever plan B they might have had, whatever backdoor escape they might have had if Jesus didn't work out. They left it all behind to follow Jesus. And you could almost hear their hearts singing the song, I, I have decided to follow Jesus, no turning back. No turning back. And you know, later in the Gospels, it's in Luke chapter 9, three different people come to Jesus and they're like, we want to follow you. But they've got to-do lists to get to before they follow Jesus. One wanted to bury his father. The other wanted to say goodbye to loved ones. What is Jesus' response in verse 62 of Luke 9? He says, anyone who puts a hand to the plow and then looks back is not fit for the kingdom of God. You read that, answer seems a little harsh, right? This isn't gentle Jesus, meek and mild, flannel board Jesus from Sunday school. Like, this is, this is a firm line he's drawing. This is, a, this is a, a, a line that we need to heed as followers. Because what he's saying is, I'm not looking for half-hearted followers. 
right? Following Jesus isn't a holy hobby or a part-time pursuit. It's a perpetual assignment, right? It is, as we've quoted Eugene Peterson in this series again and again, what he calls long obedience in the same direction. So in order to follow well, we need to prepare our hearts well. Again, it's said of Rehoboam that he did not prepare his heart to seek the Lord. So what does this preparation look like? Well, first and foremost, I'd be remiss to not say, first and foremost, the first step to prepare your heart is repentance. And that means a lot of different things for a lot of different people, but repentance means to turn, right? To turn from sin, to turn to Christ. So Jesus said, hey, look, I am the one way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through Jesus. So this whole sermon series talking about paths and principles for the paths, it's not just to apply to whatever path you may be on, right? If you're not on the path of following Jesus, your first step, your first principle should be, I, I need to turn. I need to repent, right? I need to step into the life that Jesus offers and begin to follow his commands and his lordship. So if we're honest, that's step number one. But I hope most of us tonight We'll be able to say, well, okay, I've taken that step, right? So, so if I've prepared my heart through repentance, what are some other steps to prepare my heart to, to follow Jesus and to do it for the long haul? Not just for a season, but with my life. And I would say, you know, you pre we prepare for lots of different trips in life. Pack for all different kinds of trips. It might be a, 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 a weekend getaway. It might be an overnighter. It might be a vacation for a week. Depending on what you're going to, you, you might pack different. <laughs> Carrie's shaking her head. She's been to the DR on those mission trips. You're going to pack different for that than you would if you were going to a hotel for a week, right? We pack different. But then you also look at people. Different people pack differently. The most experienced travelers, you'll see that the more most people travel, the lighter they'll pack. Whereas if you're in an airport, you'll see people with like all of this up here, right? And they'll be walking through the airport looking like they're moving to a whole new address. You're like, yeah, you don't travel much, right? But there's reasons for that. Why do the experienced travelers fly with less? Well, because bags cost you, right? Sure, in cars, there's also a cost, right? It cramps your space, right? We're, there were six of us in that Dodge Caravan when we would take road trips as a kid. You're not trying to have extra bags on all those seats cramping your space. It also kills gas mileage. My dad was very adamant about that. <laughs> but when you fly, the cost is even more in your face, right? There's baggage fees. They charge you for bags. The more bags you have, the bigger price you'll pay. Baggage costs us. Again, experienced travelers, they sometimes won't even check a bag. You'll just see them do a carry-on, throw it in the overhead. They're not paying any money for extra. They know what they need, and that's all they're bringing. Because really, once you travel enough, you realize what you might think are necessities, must-haves. You go the entire trip, and you barely touch it. I think it's why earlier in Luke 9, before this verse, Jesus is sending the disciples out to go and minister. And he says, hey, don't bring a bag. Don't bring any bread. Don't bring an extra shirt. I don't know if he recommended deodorant or a toothbrush, any of that. But he's saying, look, don't take anything except for what you have on your back. He's telling them to pack light because they weren't going to be burdened by stuff. They could be committed to the ministry that they were called to. You know, I think Elisha would have had no trouble understanding Jesus' words here in Luke 9 about putting your hands to the plow and not looking back. Because when Elijah found him, this is exactly what he was doing. In similar, if not the same terrain, the ground in, in Palestine was rugged. Right? To look back or to lose focus was to decide that, oh, I'm going to make some mistakes because I'm not looking forward. And discipleship in a similar way demands that we focus forward. No matter how rough the road may be ahead, we're called to focus where God is calling us to. And not only is it likely 
that Elisha would have understood what Jesus was saying here in Luke 9.62. Some commentators, some uh, students of the Bible, teachers of the Bible believe that in this passage, Jesus is probably referencing Elisha, and the Jews would have understood it as they were listening. Because if we turn to 1 Kings 19, which we're going to do now, we see what Elisha did to begin his journey of following Elijah. Again, it's 1 Kings chapter 19, verse 19. We're going to do verse 19 through verse 21. It says, so Elijah, again, Elijah and Elisha. So I'm going to try to enunciate here. Elijah went and found Elisha, son of Shaphat, plowing a field. There were 12 teams of oxen in the field, and Elisha was plowing with the 12th team. Elijah went over to him and threw his cloak across his shoulders and then walked away. Elisha left the oxen standing there, ran after Elijah, and said to him, first let me go and kiss my father and mother goodbye, and then I'll go with you. And Elijah replied, go on back but think about what I have done to you. So Elisha returned to his oxen and slaughtered them. He used the wood from the plow to build a fire and roast their flesh. He passed around the meat with the townspeople, and they all ate. Then he went with Elisha as his assistant. So this is where we see Road Rule 6 that speaks to the preparation of our heart to follow Christ and why we call it host a bonfire. Because what we see Elisha do is he hosts a, really, he hosts a barbecue, right? He's taking the meat, he's roasting it. When he's saying that, he's cooking up some food for the whole neighborhood, and they come to this bonfire slash barbecue, but it would have raised some eyebrows, right? They would have thought, is this guy crazy? Because the fuel for the fire was his plows, right? The, 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 the meat they were eating was his livelihood. This was his cattle. No doubt they, they might have been shaking their head or scratching their head as they were attending, but again, many people believe that Jesus in Luke 9, he's pointing back to Elisha and saying, look, you can't step into your future with me until you're letting go of your past without me. You can't step into your future with me if you're still holding on to the past that you had without me. He's saying, don't check all this baggage and let it cost you. Burn it. <laughs> you know, if we're careful, our future will simply be an extension of our past. You know, there's kind of this natural domino effect where the moments behind us, if we're not careful, can inform the moments in front of us. So it wasn't enough for Elisha to just cast vision for his future. He needed to commit an act of arson to what was going to be his past. What he was doing is, can't be distracted by what you've destroyed. It's no longer there. And this wasn't about right or wrong, right? There was nothing morally wrong with plowing fields, right, with oxen. It was about the life he had and the life that he was choosing to create that the past was no longer available, only the future, right? It was a declaration of determination. It was a cry of commitment. This is a strong statement of commitment, often that's lacking in our culture, right? You know, like if a student gets bored, they can stop taking lessons. If a, if a player gets stressed, they can quit the team. So often we see if the thrill is gone in a marriage, then the spouses quit on the marriage. But you know, if this kind of lack of commitment makes it into your faith walk. It can be crippling. It can, it can ruin you. You know, there's an art, again, to preparing our hearts to follow Christ. Christ says, don't put your hand to the plow and look back because he's not looking for half-hearted followers. You know, in Greek history, Greek warriors and their commitment to bravery, it's the stuff of legend, right? They were both respected and feared by their peers and their enemies. They seem to have this unshakable commitment and bravery going into battle. And as much as their actions on the battlefield spoke for themselves, it was what they did before they ever got to the battlefield that often fed this commitment. 
Because the Greeks were master motivators who understood how to use a dramatic demonstration to infuse a spirit of commitment in the heart of every warrior that was going with them. So often the very first order to come out of the commander's mouth once the warriors had come off the boats and loaded all they need to onto the land was a simple but powerful one. Burn the boats. Right? As the boats turned to ash and as they would slip quietly out of sight into the water, each man understood there was no turning back. The only way home was through victory. Any notion of retreat or surrender, it sunk with the ships. Right? As they began their journey toward the battlefield, they practiced road rule, <laughs> host a bonfire. It wasn't win or go home. You know, in sports, people throw that phrase around in the playoffs to, to, to give a sense of urgency. It's win or go home. No, this was, this was win or, or die trying. No plan B. It's as if they were singing, I have decided to fight this battle. There's no turning back. No turning back. You know, Paul says in Philippians 3, verses 13 through 16, he says, one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead, I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, let us, as many as are mature, have this mind. And if anything, and if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal even this to you. Nevertheless, to the degree that we have already attained, let us walk by the same rule. Let us be of the same mind. You know, I've heard verses 13 and 14 again and again. I've memorized it. I love them. But verses 15 and 16 speak to what we're talking about tonight, and they're significant. Because verse 15 is saying maturity, it's marked by our ability to not be grounded in our past. Even if our past is good, it might be a mess. Or for Paul, he's pointing like, I I have some accomplishments, but I'm not looking back on those things. He said, if you're mature, you should have the same stance. You should be focused forward. And then verse 16, I didn't know it until I was studying this week. There's a military significance to what he's saying there. The term he uses for let us walk on is a military term in the Greek that speaks to marching in order. So he's saying, look, we have to burn our boats and, and fix our focus forward. He's saying there's no turning back. We need to focus on the heavenly calling we have in Christ. You know, as we pursue God, as Paul highlights in these verses, we have a choice. We can focus on the past or we can focus on the future. You know, as we drive and we take road trips, you drive anywhere, there's a reason the windshield is massive and the rearview mirror is much smaller, right? Because our focus is supposed to be ahead of us. It's, it's, it's good to glance in your rearview mirror. If you don't do that, Give it a try, right? <laughs> it's good to glance in your rearview mirror, but it's bad to gaze in it, right? My, my, driver's ed taught me, my driver's ed teacher taught me that early. It's good to glance at. It's not good to get lost in this, this rearview mirror, or you're just asking to get in a wreck and hit something that's actually in front of you. You know, it's the same in life that God calls us to the future. God never calls us to the past, right? We don't have time machines. He doesn't call us to fix those things. He calls us to the future. And if we aren't careful, God's promises and what he has in front of us can be eclipsed by all those things that are in our past that we keep looking back at. You know, it might be, again, good things in the past that we cling to, or it might be bad things from the past, like guilt or shame that cling to us. Either way, we're called to focus forward. You know, a university once performed a study, and it tried to find a commonality on on peace of mind. How do you achieve peace of mind? And And it surveyed all these different people, and it found six things in common with those that have a peace of mind. The first is refusing to live in the past. Second, the absence of resentment and anger. Third, not wasting time fighting things you cannot change. 
Fourth, forcing yourself to be involved in your current surroundings. Fifth, refusing to indulge in self-pity. All these things, if you look at them, flow from the first, a refusal to live in the past. Not gazing in the rearview mirror or being lost in the rearview mirror when we're called to look forward and fix our focus forward. You know, in ancient Roman culture, there was a deity named Janus. And it's actually where we get the, 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 the word January from. So that's what they named January after. And this, this deity, this god in Roman culture had two heads, one that was always looking forward and one that was always looking backward. And later, an Italian custom was practiced that was practiced even in Rome where they celebrated this deity. And on New Year's Eve, right, the day before January, the, the month of this god that looks forward and backwards, the people would toss possessions onto the street. Anything that had like a negative connotation, anything that was depressing or maybe, I don't know, man, maybe they're like, I don't want to do a yard, so we're just going to throw it out in the street, <laughs> right? We think they trashed New Year's, New Year's Eve in Times Square with confetti. These people are just throwing belongings out in the street on New Year's Eve. But the idea was, look, if we're going to have new things in this new year, you got to have out with the old and in with the new. Out with the old and in with the new. When January came, they wanted to be focused on what's in front of them, not obsessed with what was behind them. You know, Elisha, he didn't just throw his stuff out. Again, he made a bonfire of it. What made him do this? The fact that Elijah chose him. Elijah, again, he throws his cloak around Elisha as a symbol that he'd chosen him. More importantly, God had chosen him, put this prophetic mantle on his life. And, and it's powerful to me that Elijah, he doesn't say much, doesn't give him like a five-year plan, doesn't give him a, a blueprint for what the next bit of his life is going to look like. He doesn't even tell him, hey, you need to burn your plows and, and, and kill all your oxen. He doesn't tell him these things. And it's powerful to me first because there's just an immense power in knowing that you're chosen. Again, as we were talking about during worship, there's an immense power in knowing your identity, right? That, that, that Jesus died for you so that you could become a son and a daughter of God. That, that God chose you in that way. There's power in knowing that. But even in that, just because we're chosen doesn't mean that we won't have choices to make, right? Secondly, you see that even here with Elijah, this prophet, no one can tell you your future for certain, at least not with 100% certainty, because it's your future, you have to decide what future you'll choose, pursue, and work towards. You have to burn boats and make defining decisions. Elisha was saying goodbye to the life that he had so that he could say hello to the life that was offered. You know, other than being available in memories, there was nothing for him to go back to. He had only one direction, forward. And it speaks to this reality that, that we shape our future. Our decisions today or what's going to shape our tomorrows. And God gives us a blueprint in Scripture, but we got to take note, it, it's for a new creation. It's not for a, a rebuild or renovation. He didn't die for a renovation. He died to make new creations. We weren't run down and in need of, like, TLC. No, we needed to be rebuilt from the ground up, a new foundation built on Jesus Christ. Again, it, it starts from square one. We were completely broken and in need of a Savior to be made new again and placed on a new foundation. That's why it's telling when Jesus gives one of his parables, he talks about counting the cost. You know, if you travel a lot as well and you're out of town in other cities and there's highways, it's a, it's a bad thing to get caught in a toll when you don't have any coins. <laughs> I went down to Florida in January, and I knew, I knew that from the airport to the place I was going, there was a toll booth. But in my head, for some reason, I was convinced it was 35 cents. 35 cents 
each way. I get to the toll, 75 cents. Nobody's around. There's, this isn't one where you can swipe a card. There's no person that can give you change. It's, you either got the, the money or you're stuck. And so I was the joker, right, in shame, throwing it in reverse, turning around, going the wrong way off that exit. It was early in the morning, and then had to take a long detour, right? It's always embarrassing. It's worse when there's people there that see you, right, or a cop. <laughs> you know, in life, there are occasions that will require us to pay a price, to rise to the occasion, to have what it takes. Many of them are unavoidable. And these moments will either become toll booths that we count the cost, pay the price for, and go through, or they become roadblocks that send us on detours. Toll booths will come. God always calls us forward. And you know what? If, if turning back is an option in those moments, we'll inevitably turn our head. Think about Lot's wife. Think about the Israelites in the desert. Multiple times the Israelites in the desert look back at Egypt, where they had been slaves for hundreds of years and thought it would be better to go back there than to go forward because they thought the cost of going into the promised land and actually fighting for what God had already promised and said he was going to give them was too high. And so they went back into the wilderness. This generation of Israelites that left Egypt, went to the promised land, decided the cost was too high to go in, went back out into the wilderness, and that's where they would die. Again, if we aren't careful, our future can be simply an extension of our past. If slavery is an option, we'll go back to it. But we often don't call it slavery. We call it comfort, safety, maybe responsibility. And we settle into irresponsible responsibility when God is calling us forward. We become settlers instead of pioneers. And sometimes like Elisha, because let's be honest, comfort is comfortable. So often when God calls us to something that's going to cost us, it's uncomfortable. So Elisha created his own disruption to provoke himself forward. He hosted a bonfire. You know, there are moments in life where a cloak gets placed on our shoulder. Not physically, but there's a sense that God is giving us an opportunity, and we can either push forward and go through it, or we can turn around and say no. Often the, the cost is high, and there's a need for what, what I would call a defining decision. Sometimes we're forced to make those decisions. I don't know if you've ever been there, but there's times uh, when you're traveling internationally. I remember getting this advice when I was going to India to pick up Raj because somebody who traveled internationally a, a lot was like, there's times where you're going to be going through customs and security, and your bags are getting switched from terminal to terminal, and you're going to get through security, and you're going to have like 30 seconds to get on your plane, and you got to think, do I go try to get my luggage or do I just get on the plane? He's like, always get on the plane. If you got to leave your luggage, leave your luggage. It's better to get where you need to go than to have what you think you need but be stuck and grounded. Again, it speaks to our life. There's some stuff that we need to leave behind, and, and I just learned in my life that I don't want to stay behind. I want to refuse to stay behind. When God's calling me forward, I don't want to be like these disciples or potential disciples in Luke 9, who decided the cost was too high, and I'm not going to follow him. Think about the rich young ruler. said so he went away saddened. Like, imagine the regret that they had later in life, thinking that they could have followed Jesus Christ, God in the flesh, spent time with him, but they thought the cost was too high. Man, I just decided early on in my walk that I was going to refuse to stay behind because I, I lived timid at first. I got saved at 21. Again, as a senior at the College of William and Mary, and, and if you're not following Christ for 21 years, you can make a wreck out of your life. And uh, 
at about 24 and 25, God was making it clear that he was calling me to, to ministry. But man, <laughs> to think, you sure you got the right Justin? Like Steph had a great maiden name, Killingsworth. Justin White, like I go to the dentist, they're always like, there's four of you. What's your address? What's your date of birth? I'm like, maybe God just got the wrong Justin White. You sure you got the right one, right? And I've said it before, I, I hated public speaking, like despised it. So opportunities for ministry were intimidating. But early on, I, I confessed to God, look, if I have an opportunity, I'm not going to let fear cause me to say no. I'm not going to let old juice, juice of the past, Justin, sorry, that was my old nickname. <laughs> I'm not going to let old Justin tell current Justin, present Justin, what future Justin is going to do and not do. Because God had a future. And I said, I'm, I'm refusing to stay behind. You know, there's a self, uh, self-awareness that's valuable, knowing what God brought you out of. You know, many, many, many times in Scripture, we're, we're told to remember. There's a value in remembering, in, in knowing what brought, God brought you out of, what your past contained. But there is a huge difference between being grounded in your past and being grounded by your past. There's a big difference between grounded, being grounded in your past and being self-aware, but then you can be grounded by your past because you think it disqualifies you, or you think God's grace can't cover you and and call you into something new. You know, there's sometimes baggage that we need to leave behind as we get on the plane to get to the destination God is calling us to. There's an author, Bob Goff, he's written multiple books, and he used to say on Twitter every Thursday, quit something, quit something. Because he realized that if God is calling us, again, to be new creations, then we gotta get rid of some old stuff to make room for the new stuff. As Paul talks about taking off the old self and putting it on the new self. So he committed for an entire year every Thursday, I'm going to quit something, right? And that was what his encouragement every Thursday. He'd make a statement and say, hey, quit something. Because the idea is, I mean, honestly, we're all, we might not call it this, but we hoard. We're kind of hoarders. Like I've lived in a location for one year. I've lived in a location for seven years. There's a big difference you're in a home for one year. You're like, all right, yeah, we could probably move pretty easy. You're there for 10 years. You're like, how do we get some of stuff? We're never moving. I don't even want to think about what we would have to do with all the stuff we've accumulated at this address. And so often we do the same thing in our spirit. We can hold on to so much and cling to things. When God's telling us, look, that baggage can be left behind. Quit something. Choose to leave that excess baggage behind there's a, this is all travel analogies, but if you've been here any amount of time, you know I love nature. I love uh, animals, planet Earth. One of the other pastors on staff makes fun of me, uh, but God had better plans. He's like, you're not going to take care of animals. I want you to actually shepherd people. But uh, I was telling Steph this this morning. Um, there's a way that poachers used to catch monkeys. Again, she looked at me with a raised eyebrow, and I told her how they did it, and she said, you made that up. But no, this is true. All right, so I know some of you, like, you catch squirrels in your garden, and you, you, like, catch and release. But if Jumanji ever happens and there's monkeys everywhere, right, this is how you catch monkeys, and you can catch and release them. The way that poachers do this, a coconut and jelly beans. A coconut and jelly beans. You get that at $5 at Kroger. But there's one more item. You can need a chain, right? So what they do, they take a coconut... They cut a hole in it just big enough for the monkey's hand. I don't know that. You can Google it, okay? So you cut a hole just big enough for the monkey's hand, and you put jelly beans in it. And then you chain this to the ground. So literally, it's a 
It's a ball and chain. And the monkeys will come, and they'll see the jelly beans, and they'll be so fascinated by the jelly beans and enticed by the jelly beans that they'll put their hand in there and grab a handful of jelly beans. And at that point, the poachers come out with nets and throw them over the monkeys. In that moment, the monkey could let go of the jelly beans, take their hand out, and run and have freedom. But they cling to the jelly beans. Their hand is stuck, and they get captured. Coconut and jelly beans. Never forget. And if any of y'all like jelly beans, you can have them afterwards. I don't need them. Raj definitely doesn't need them. <laughs> so a coconut and jelly beans. Am I holding on to proverbial jelly beans rather than stepping into the freedom and the future God has for me? Or do I worry about my baggage in these moments, or do I say, I'm not getting left behind. I'm stepping onto my flight and stepping into everything that God has for me. These are significant decisions, life-determining decisions. You know, I was an English major. I love looking at the etymology of words. The word decide, it's fascinating because the word decide, D means off, D-E, means off. Side means to cut or to kill. That's why it rhymes with homicide, genocide, suicide, all those things. So decide means to kill off. And what it's saying is you're going to choose one thing, and what you don't choose, you don't leave to hang around or or stick it in your back pocket. You cut it off. You kill it off. That's what the, the word means. So the question becomes, what do I need to cut off? What do I need to quit? What do I need to leave on the ground so I can get on this plane? And I'm not saying... Let's all quit our jobs, sell our houses, and form a monastery. I'm not saying that. I'm not saying delete every contact in your phone that's not a bona fide saint or quit every form of social media. I'm simply saying if anything keeps you from following Christ with all your heart, pull an Elisha, make a burn list, host a bonfire, and burn it. You know, Hebrews 12. Hebrews 12 talks about throwing off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. And I think we understand it with sin, right? It entangles. We understand its danger. Paul says the wages of sin is death. Sin is a big deal. But everything that hinders, right? Sometimes those things aren't sinful, yet they should be included on our burn list. What distracts me? What hinders my walk? What takes time away from God? What keeps me unfocused or maybe causes me stress and anxiety and worry? The thing that would have held Elisha back, at least in his mind, was a backdoor escape back to those plows and that oxen, so he burned it. Things that might have possibly hindered him. He said goodbye. Again, we're all low-key hoarders. We cling to things, and sometimes I think we consider these things treasure, thinking we'll need it, when ultimately it's it's excess baggage, right? They're jelly beans in a coconut. (laughs) They're a hindrance, like dragging three suitcases through an airport when you could have just brought one. And in terms of baggage that we so often lug around with us. I was just praying, God, like, what are you speaking? And I just believe there's three different items that we so often lug around with us in this journey of life that's taking up space in our car. It's killing our gas mileage. It's costing us baggage fees as we follow Christ, and we're paying the price for it. And I just believe there's three that, that God would have us lay down tonight and leave here tonight. And the first, we'll call it past pain. Past pain. Because pain handled improperly can be paralyzing. Where we replay the pain, we feel it all over again, we, we pick the scab, we fail to heal, and ultimately we fail to move forward. And that could be many different things for each one of us. It could be bitterness, it could be unforgiveness, 
Could be shame, not because of what we did, but what somebody did to us. Could be disappointment. I don't know what that past pain may be for you, but I know there's some of us tonight that need to take that unforgiveness, that offense, and, and leave it here and let God deal with it so that we can take a step into everything he has for us. The second, not just past pain, I know for some of us it's present sin. Just getting this picture as I was praying for this sermon that some of us, we've tried to keep God in one suitcase and then our other life, our flesh, our sin over here to compartmentalize it. I got God on the weekends, God in the mornings when I'm doing devos, and then there's all this other stuff I'm dabbling in over here that's not of him. But God doesn't ask to be compartmentalized. He doesn't want a room in your home. He wants to be the foundation so you can build a whole life on him. So I don't know what that might be, but I know there's things we struggle with you might be struggling with, that God's saying, hey, let it go. How do, you, how do you just let it go? Maybe you need to see yourself out of relationships. Maybe you need to establish accountability, form some relationships of accountability. Simply tell somebody. Or as we talked about weeks ago, put up guardrails, right? Things that will keep you from stumbling again and again. So maybe it's past pain, maybe it's present sin, maybe it's simply the status quo. What are your plows and cattle? Not bad things, maybe good things that are keeping you from great things. Things that we think is treasure, it's really just excess baggage. What is good when God's calling you to greater? And I don't know what those things might be for each of you when you're talking past pain, present sin, or the status quo. But Greg, if you could turn on uh, the song, I Have Decided. I want to step into a moment and just reflect on this fact that, look, tomorrow's going to come regardless of what you do. Tomorrow's going to come, regardless of what you do. You're going to fall asleep, tomorrow's going to be here. But we walk into our destiny, God's destiny for us, because of defining decisions. Tomorrow's going to come regardless of what we do, but we create our future and step into the future God has for us because we make decisions. We decide. We leave some things behind. We cut some things off. We, we don't try to carry them with us when they'll hinder us on our walk. They'll entangle us. They'll hinder us. So I don't know what those decisions are for each one of us. But again, your past will find its way into your future unless you courageously make some decisions and create a new one. It's like dominoes. Just get rid of some. Pull some out. And it won't keep going. Determine to leave behind what needs to be left behind. So tonight I want us to make a, a burn list. <laughs> I don't know if it's past pain, if it's present sin, if it's the status quo. I don't know what God's speaking to you tonight, but I know he's speaking something. I know his Holy Spirit's here. I know that he's speaking through his word. And there's no, I was trying to find a responsible way, like let's, let's make a bonfire. <laughs> Kid life was, you know, outside. That wasn't going to happen. So I was like, all right, I'm not going to light a, a fire, but we can uh, put some stuff in this suitcase and just get rid of it. Leave it here. What I'm going to ask is we're going to, Turn this song up. Just step into a time of prayer and reflection. Don't have to stand. Don't have to sing. Don't have to do anything. But I believe, again, that the Holy Spirit is speaking. And as you're praying, as you're reflecting, as you're looking at this list, and, and maybe God's already pricked something on your heart, I just want us to come up here, write it down. And you can crumple it up, fold it up, crinkle it up. Just drop it in here. Maybe I'll burn it later. <laughs> but either way, Greg, if you would turn up the music, I just want to pray, Lord God, I pray that tonight, God, you'd give us a fresh sense, again, of the fact that we're chosen, 
the confidence that Elisha had when Elijah put his cloak on him, Lord God. I, I pray that we would, if we're under the blood of your son, just remember again the significance of that. God, that we're saved by grace so that no man can boast. But Lord God, that you've also prepared things in advance for us to do purposes and callings on our life, destinies and futures, Lord God. None of us are without any of those things. But God, we're, it's through the decisions we make on nights like tonight that are gonna establish our future and create the future that you have for us, Lord God. But we say yes. God, like Elisha who, who decided to follow Elijah, we say yes. And God, I pray that tonight you would give us a burn list or just give us those things that you want us to leave behind, those, those jelly beans inside of the coconut, Lord God, that we're clinging to, but you're saying it's hindering you. It's holding you back. It's entangling you. God, as we write them down and, and drop them in this suitcase, God, I just pray that there would be a, a, a lightening of our load because we know that your yoke is easy and your burden is light. Even as there's, there might be rough roads ahead, Lord God, you equip us for them, you prepare us for them. Let this moment be a moment of preparation as we choose you again. We make a decision again to follow you and, and we decide that what we need to leave behind, we're gonna cut off and leave behind. But let's step into a moment just of prayer, reflection, and, and write those things down and cast them in the suitcase.